Welcome to Beat Cancer, the official podcast of the UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center. Thanks for joining us today as we have an in-depth discussion of the science, research, and advancements taking place at our National Cancer Institute designated Comprehensive Cancer Center. I'm Chris Joyce. And I'm Stephanie Wynn. We will also examine proactive approaches to cancer prevention and, most importantly, how we are breaking barriers to beat cancer in our community and beyond. Joining us today is Dr. Andrew Berkland. Dr. Berkland focuses on providing care for all benign and malignant head and neck tumors. He has specialized training and a particular interest in microvascular reconstructive surgery as well as robotic surgery. You're going to have to explain all of this to us and we look forward to it, Dr. Berkland. You know, head and neck uh, cancers, um, seem to be um, on the rise, particularly due to a a few different factors, but it is Head and Neck Cancer Awareness Month. And that's why we want to focus our podcast today, Beat Cancer, on these devastating cancers, really. Um, Tell us about all the different types of tumors you see. Yeah, so uh, as head and neck cancer surgeons, we treat, as, as you mentioned, uh, both benign, that means non-cancerous, but as well as more commonly cancerous tumors uh, that are really throughout the head and neck. So we say basically that's from the base of your skull all the way to the top of the lungs. And so that's kind of the territory of a head and neck surgeon. So commonly this includes the mouth, uh, the throat, and the voice box, as well as the nose and the sinuses. And so th- those are common places where we say we treat what we call mucosal head and neck cancers. That's the lining of the inside of your mouth. Uh, we also treat uh, cancers and tumors of the saliva glands. So you have uh, three major saliva glands, your parotid gland, your s- submandibular gland, and your sublingual gland. Uh, and so sometimes people develop tumors or cancers of those glands, and we treat those as well. Uh, additionally, we treat thyroid uh, 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 disease. So that includes thyroid cancers as well as uh, thyroid nodules and other reasons someone might need to get their thyroid uh, uh, taken out. And finally, we also treat uh, skin cancers uh, that are uh, located in the head and neck. Again, there's a lot of uh, intricate anatomy in the head and neck, and so so, uh, our our knowledge of that anatomy allows us to treat um, cancers like melanoma as well as non-melanoma cancers uh, of the head and neck. So those are kind of uh, all the types of cancers that we treat as head and neck surgeons here at UC Davis. Well, and do you typically see uh, the head and neck cancers more in a specific population, or is it um, is it spread out pretty evenly across uh, demographics? Yeah, that's a great question. It's really uh, de- uh, dependent on the cancer type. So, mm-hmm. you know, your classic uh, tongue or maybe voice box cancer patient is, is traditionally an older smoking patient. So smoking is one of the biggest causes of, of traditional head and neck cancers in, in, in the um, we call it the upper aerodigestive tract, anywhere from the tip of your tongue all the way down to your voice box. And so those tend to be uh, older. Uh, traditionally, we're, we're men, because uh, men were, were heavier smokers, um, and, and they would get um, these uh, head and neck cancers. That being said, uh, Stephanie, as you mentioned, uh, there, there's, a, a, um, the, there's the demographics of head and neck cancers are changing quite rapidly. And part of that is tied to um, the increase in HPV, or human papillomavirus-associated head and neck cancers. And um, so HPV is a virus. It it's affects really most of us in our youth. Most of us do contract uh, some strain of the virus. Unfortunately, some of us, most of us clear it. Unfortunately, some of us uh, catch and, and don't clear um, certain strains that are more likely to lead to cancer. 
And um, this is what's also associated with cervical cancer as well. Um, and and so, so these can cause cancers in the tonsils and the back of the tongue. And so that's a, it's actually rising rapidly in incidence, affecting both men and women and affecting younger patients as well. It's, it's uh, incidence is actually so high, it's actually overtaken cervical cancer as the most common associated HPV cancer. And so this is the cancer that Michael Douglas had, and you know you hear some of the celebrities are uh, opening up about their experience with this type of cancer. So it's certainly um, uh, on the rise. Um, uh, and that being said, all cancers, uh, head and neck, uh, um, they're, they're quite, uh, they're more common than you think. So head and neck cancers are the sixth or seventh most common cancer in the world. Uh, hmm. and, and so they are certainly, I think, they, they don't, hadn't uh, up to now been making the headlines, but have been there and pretty prevalent uh, throughout uh, our history. Well, and I, I think, you know, let's be frank about it. This is, um, these, these cancers, some of them, uh, the HPV-related uh, cancers of the, uh, the head and neck, are due to, uh, you know, a sexually transmitted disease. But the good news is there's a vaccine. Um, and, and this can help, you know, this is why our cervical cancer rates are coming down. Do you see them eventually with, you know, the vaccine working effectively to prevent head and neck cancers? Yeah, that's a really excellent question. And one that, that so our society actually strongly supports all people, uh, both men and women, uh, getting the, the HPV vaccine. Um, and so the same strains that can cause cervical cancer um, uh, as well as anogenital cancer, cause uh, uh, oral pharynx cancer. Um, and so it's, it's FDA approved for anyone up to age 45. So our society actually supports both men and women getting that vaccine as well. The trick between um, cervical cancer and the uh, HPV-related uh, throat cancer or, or tonsil based of tongue cancer is that the, the time between the infection and leading to cancer and cervical cancer is, is shorter, so you can tell a direct effect. Uh, the HPV-related throat cancers is really 20, 30, 40 years down the road that their cancers are developing. And then so, you know, we can extrapolate that these, these vaccines should have an effect. And indeed, we'll probably see, uh, you know, as we're seeing it peak right now, you'll probably see a lag. And then eventually it'll probably decline as more and more people get the HPV vaccine. But it'll just be very hard to prove um, it because that, that lag period between the HPV infect, infection and then developing the, um, the the throat cancer, but hopefully in in fifty years uh, I'll be uh, out of a job for needing to treat uh, uh, oral pharynx <laughs> well, cancer. Well, let's hope <laughs> for our sake. I don't know about for yours, uh, and I know dentists quite often uh, spot these head and neck cancers, right? I mean, I know my dentist, my hygienist, is actually doing a really good job of looking around my tongue and my gums and the back of my throat. Yeah, absolutely. I went to the dentist this morning, and I, I could tell the hygienist was looking closely at my tongue and, and my mouth. So I, 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 I silently was applauding her. Um, uh, so yes, absolutely. Oftentimes, uh, patients. Well, the most common person who finds uh, their cancer is the patient themselves. They feel perhaps a lump in their neck or an ear pain or have, have something just doesn't feel right. And everyone knows their body the best. So you know, we take a patient's. Um, symptoms seriously. Uh, and so something we wanted to dive further, something's feeling something wrong. That being said, yes, dentists and primary care doctors often are very, ones who spot something abnormal and dentists, especially as they're looking really readily in your mouth, especially in patients who might be smokers uh, or, or, or have, have known kind of lesions in the mouth. Certainly the dentists are often the ones that might spot that and send them along to uh, 
uh, uh, the path to seeing a head and neck surgeon. Well, and you, um, so we touched on a little bit with just the HPV vaccine, and then you've mentioned uh, smoking. Are there other, uh, are there other ways to be preventative in this that patients could be like? Is, is there, you know, anything that they can cut out of their out of their lifestyle, maybe that that would help, um, or things to be on the lookout for, you know. Um, any environmental factors, anything like that as far as it relates to prevention? Yeah, certainly smoking is far and away the most common uh, cause of the traditional head and neck cancers. And we start, you know, that's, um, you know, one of the most common lines. And, and it's, it's and, and patients usually know this, but, you know, it just speaks to the addictiveness of tobacco that, that mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows. But, but you know, you know, it's a, it's a hard road, road to, to, come, to come back from once you start smoking. But certainly, you know, we, we give them, you know, whatever support they, they wish to, to help stop smoking. So the most important thing from, from cancer prevention would certainly be never start smoking, but if you start smoking, to stop as soon as possible. Alcohol acts kind of as an enhancing agent with smoking. So alcohol by itself mm-hmm. maybe have a, has a little bit of impact on uh, head and neck cancer, but really uh, its addition to smoking can really make uh, increase your, your risk there. And as you mentioned, um, the HPV virus is one that, that can um, cause the, the tonsil cancer. There's another type of virus. It's called Epstein-Barr virus, and that's associated with nasopharynx cancers, so cancers in the back of your nose. These are more common in Southeast Asian populations, um, and there's not a vaccine for it, but, but you know, it, it is something that people are aware of. Um, as far as other uh, things that uh, we can use to, that, that can cause um, head and neck cancer that, that we uh, tell people to quit us is one is, again, more in Southeast Asia, but people will chew uh, a nut called betel nut or areca nut. Um, I'm actually from the island of Guam and, and that, you know, uh, it's, it's very commonly chewed there. Um, and that we know leads to, to, to head, uh, head and neck cancer. Um, mm. There, um, as well as some, some various kind of chemicals, so some woodworking agents some, some, some metals, nickel, those are less common, but some environmental exposures there. But certainly the big one being smoking, and then that's preventable. And then the other one being HPV, again, now with younger populations, potentially preventable with the vaccine. And, and all tobacco use, right? Because chewing tobacco um, is a leading risk factor as well. You're absolutely right. So it's all tobacco use, yeah. What so, about vaping? I mean, are there studies out? Do we know... That's a you know, great question. That's a great question. It's 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 uh, too early to know, but certainly we know that chronic irritation can lead to to uh, airway irritation can lead to mm. uh, deranged cells and could potentially lead to cancer. So I wouldn't certainly certainly wouldn't say it's safe. Same thing with marijuana. There's there's kind of conflicting studies, early studies, so we don't know a hundred percent, but certainly wouldn't seem uh, potentially safe. Um, and that's. And as far as one other preventative, just, just uh, again, is because we do treat head and, uh, skin cancers, the head and neck, uh, and we do see quite a lot of that in this part of California with, with uh, our frequent sunny days, uh, <laughs> is that, that um, really, really, especially with fair skin people, uh, uh, um, um, sun protection is so critical. Um, you know, some of these skin cancers can grow to be quite uh, uh, invasive and, and, and quite deadly, so certainly... Uh, I uh, always want to be uh, very cautious with skin protection. So getting back to uh, some of the treatments um, that you're deploying, Dr. Berklin, um, tell us about the microvascular reconstructive surgery as well as the robotic surgery. Yeah, using. we 
Yeah. So we we, we uh, so for a lot of especially uh, for a lot of head and neck cancer, surgery uh, for better or worse is is our first line uh, treatment, and then you know sometimes we follow that with radiation and, and chemotherapy. But for a lot of patients, um, uh, a surgery is indicated. Um, and so, you know, as you as you can imagine, uh, taking you know, if I were to take a, a piece of tissue from maybe your 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 belly or, or from your back, you you'd probably be fine. You wouldn't really notice it. But then taking that same amount of tissue from your tongue or from your throat uh, has huge uh, ramifications on how you know your physical appearance, your speech, and your swallowing. So really, things that make us human. And so. Part uh, so if we take if we have to take enough of a part of your body and and we, if we can't we render you in, unable to speak or eat that'd be devastating. So part of what microvascular surgery is is transplanting another part of your body to rebuild the part that we take. So it's just like if someone were to get a kidney transplant, except that we're transplanting one part of your body from yourself to yourself. So we we choose different parts of the body depending on what we have to take. So. Sometimes if we're rebuilding a tongue, we take a little piece of the arm or a little piece of the thigh to help rebuild that volume uh, of the tongue. Now, we can never replace the sensation and the taste, but we can uh, provide the, the, the structure there so that you can use the rest of your tongue and your mouth. Similarly, if we're taking someone's jaw or part of the bone, bone of their face, we have to rebuild that bone or else it'd be quite disfiguring. And so we'll take part of somebody's leg bone or part of their shoulder blade bone to help rebuild that. And so that, and that's where we do microvascular surgery. So these can be about 12 plus hour surgeries, so quite long surgeries. Where did you cultivate this interest in this particular type of oncology, Dr. Berkman? So I'd say part of it is growing up in Guam. As I mentioned, uh, the uh, betel nut, we had a betel nut tree in our backyard. Um, and so I was certainly very well aware of it. And, and I don't know if you know, but people who chew betel nut, their gums turn black just from, from the way they, 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 uh, they, oh, wow. they uh, did you have relatives, family members who? Uh, I had came I had friends who did that. Uh, mm-hmm. and as far as uh, yeah, my, I had um, grandparents who uh, died uh, died of other cancers, but not head and neck. But uh, head and neck cancer was certainly well in my uh, awareness in Guam. I actually have some research with uh, looking back in, into the Pacific Island population uh, um, and, and head and neck cancers there. It seems to be a higher incident in those populations. Um, and so, so really that, that, that kind of drove my, my interest and awareness of head and neck cancer. And it's, it's a challenging cancer. Again, it, it's, it's such a morbid cancer, and we have so much room for improvement, uh, both from a clinical standpoint as well as a research standpoint, that I thought there was a lot of opportunity for, for growth there. Um, you know, I always say that we're real. so for instance, we treat thyroid cancers too. We're actually really good at curing thyroid cancer, and survival rates for thyroid cancer are excellent. Our survival rates for head and neck cancer, especially in advanced stages, aren't isn't so good. We're talking about 50% at best at mm. at five years for the advanced stages, and if it comes back after that, we're to, we're, we have a lot lower um, uh, chance for survival. So there's a lot of room for improvement, and a lot of these patients are really you know uh, really thankful, grateful patients, and then really um, need someone you know need help, and, and are often uh, uh, under supported. So certainly there there's a, a role there for us. Rare, but very, very debilitating cancers. They're really ugly cancers. Yeah, um, rare, and I would say not yeah. as rare as you think. Again, it's the sixth or seventh mm-hmm. most common of, of this oral cavity cancers, uh, or, yeah. or say the oral upper oral airways. So, so I think a little less uncommon than you might think. Again, you know, it's not as common as say breast or prostate cancer, but mm-hmm. but more common than you know, some of these these, mm-hmm. these rare brain cancers and you know other kind of cancers.
Well, are there, um, you had mentioned some of your research just uh, looking at like the, the Southeast uh, Pacific uh, populations. And are there any maybe new novel uh, discoveries or, um, gosh, even just if you could tell us, maybe expand on a little bit of your research that you're doing in the field of head and neck cancers? Yeah, we have, we, we have we do a lot of research in a lot of different angles. Um, I think one kind of broad topic we say uh, is our research is kind of in precision medicine. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of a broad catch-all term to, to mean a lot of things. But we really mean is that we're trying to optimize the treatment for each patient uh, uh, to, to, to the individual patient. We have these kind of broad guidelines and treatment pathways or standardized care saying, like, if this is your stage of cancer, you get this treatment. But we, we also recognize that different people and different cancers can behave and respond differently. And so our current uh, uh, kind of guidelines don't really capture this well enough. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, interest in medicine to, to again, to stratify, to find ways that really, how, how can we personalize and make sure our treatment is optimal for each individual patient? I think this is a broad kind of topic across all cancers and certainly one that we're interested in head and neck cancer. And so we kind of approach that in different ways in our research. One of them is as far as precision is, is like precision imaging and, and, and before surgery. So we have the Explorer PET scan at UC Davis. It's a novel technology. And we actually have a clinical trial where we uh, use that before surgery to help us t- try to detect are there lymph nodes that are involved that we might want to be, be suspicious about that we want to take those out. We also have an R01 funded grant where we're actually using during surgery uh, fluorescence imaging uh, and with, with the goal ultimately to help us detect what is cancer and what isn't cancer. You know, mm. when we think about it's so important to save as much as we can uh, to take out uh, when, when we take out such high priced real estate in someone's uh, mouth, say, um, you know, if we can save stuff that's not cancer, then that's great. But also we don't want to miss cancer because then, then uh, you know, we haven't cured the disease. So it's that fine balance we have to take. So we're looking at novel technology to help us make those decisions. Uh, to enhance, because really, um, you know, as a surgeon, I'm only relying on my sight and my hands uh, to, to try to detect cancer. And you think in this day and age, with all the technology we have, it's pretty amazing that that's still what we're relying on uh, for for our um, to make sure we get all the cancer out. Um, we also have studies looking at what we call biomarkers, so looking at patient a patient's tumor and sequencing it, or even taking a patient's saliva, blood, or urine, and seeing if we can take markers that might help early detect cancer or detect recurrent cancer or kind of give us an idea of how their their cancer might behave. How many of these cancers do you think have a genetic sort of cause? That's a good, history? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, as far as um, a, a family history, we don't tend to see too many of those in, in a lot of our, our like tongue and, and throat cancers. Those those tend to be, again, the smoking, let's say the smoking and cancer, the smoking causes DNA damage, and then it damages a specific set of genes, uh, a lot of them. And so, so there are common um, patterns of mutations in genes that are caused by, by smoking, uh, that some genes are inactivated, some genes are turned on. And so there's large sequencing studies um, across all cancers, including head and neck cancer, that have kind of given the, we call it the mutational landscape of, of head and neck cancer. And there's some uh, high-impact papers that were published about a decade ago now that kind of gave us that landscape. And then going back to the HPV virus, we know that HPV virus actually has specific proteins that uh, go into the cell and knock out and shut down certain important genes that basically lead the cells to 
cycle and grow unchecked. So that's how we know the HPV virus is associated to head and neck cancer. So we do know to some degree um, some of the genetic kind of factors that, that kind of underlie a lot of our head and neck cancers. The challenge is that they can be so, in every individual patient, so unique. Again, going back to precision and personalized therapy, that the, the mutation pattern in one patient might be very different than another patient, even though similar pathways are being affected. Dr. Berkland, because we're an academic institution, of course, you know, and designated by the NCI as a comprehensive cancer center, we are the place when it comes to clinical trials. Do you uh, see some hopeful clinical trials either, you know, now or in the in the near future that could help some of your patients? Yeah, certainly, absolutely. Um, uh, so broadly, I, th- I think that the the, the Discovery and implementation of immunotherapy in cancers has been uh, game-changing, uh, and it does it, it is involved in head and neck cancers too. Um, and we're trying to figure out the right way in which to use it. So, so maybe that's a little before surgery, maybe uh, it's in some combination. So that's certainly been a game changer. And so we have some of those trials at UC Davis. Uh, and and again, going back to how we want to tailor each trial to the specific patient. So sometimes we want to we are, are worried that we're doing too much as far as for our surgery. Like if I, you know, do I have to take out this much of your tongue or take out all the lymph nodes in your neck when maybe we can get by with less? So for instance, we have a trial where we are testing whether for early stage tongue cancers, if we just take out what we call a sentinel lymph node, if I inject a dye in your cancer and take out the one lymph node that the dye travels to, and if that lymph node is clear, then I can be have a better thought saying like, hey, maybe we don't need to have to take out every lymph node in your neck. Mm. So we're trying to we're trying to investigate that um, uh, thought process for some of these early stage cancers. Uh, on the flip side, we see some very aggressive cancers that so we we're, we have a trial where we have cancers that have spread to we know to multiple lymph nodes in your neck, and so what we're doing is we're giving some immunotherapy before surgery. And hope, with the hope that that actually shrinks the cancers and maybe completely uh, resolves the cancer. So by the time we do surgery, it, uh, there's not much tumor left, and that might uh, actually lead to not needing any additional therapy like radiation afterwards. So kind of on both spec- uh, both ends, again, trying to tailor each uh, patient's cancer, uh, again, to, to the right therapy. Um, uh, but certainly uh, lots of clinical trials at UC Davis, and we have... Uh, many other clinical trials, even non-surgical trials, so trials that involve different combinations of chemotherapy or immunotherapy in combination with radiation. So, so certainly uh, we, we have trials open in kind of every kind of stage of patient, and, and certainly we're trying for every single type of cancer so that anyone who comes in our door might have a specific kind of appropriate trial or, or appropriate investigation that may be of benefit to them. Is there anything else that we have not covered yet that maybe you feel like we uh, need to draw attention to or something that you want to highlight within uh, your specific field, especially? I think we covered a lot. You know, I, I think I appreciate that you guys are aware that, that, that the, 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 the prevalence of head and neck cancer and its mm-hmm. increasing incidence, especially the HPV-related head and neck cancer. As it is Head and Neck Cancer Awareness Month, it's good to certainly uh, kind of uh, bring that to light and certainly maybe overcome some of the stigma of head and neck cancer. I, I, for, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's been, you know, again, whether it's associated with been, you know, kind of um, lower socioeconomic class or smoking and drinking or, or you know, maybe some, some embarrassment with the HPV virus. Again, I told my patients, we are all infected with HPV virus and there's a certain unlucky few of us, uh, it didn't clear and eventually turned into cancer, but it doesn't have any other um, uh, meaning behind that. 
and you know I think as more people come out and speak out about their their experiences and, and you know th their survival from these head and neck cancers, I think it's going to increase our awareness and increase our you know our, our collective uh, um, understanding, and certainly want to hopefully move us towards the 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 road where we're we're beating this to the rate that we are with say thyroid cancer or or, or prostate cancer or breast cancer. So if you have any symptoms, make an appointment, call UC Davis Health. If you don't have any symptoms, think about getting a HPV vaccine if you haven't already gotten one. Parents out there, it's it's worth it. I tell you what, um, making sure that my two sons kept on schedule with their HPV vaccines makes me feel a whole lot better now that they're in their mid-20s. And don't put off going to the dentist, right? At a minimum, make sure you're getting your uh, your cleanings and your exams on time because they're going to check you for head and neck cancer as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Berklin. All right. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us directly at beatcancer at ucdavis.edu. Beat Cancer is a production of the UC Davis Comprehensive Cancer Center. For information on our NCI-designated Comprehensive Cancer Center, please visit health.ucdavis.edu slash cancer.